In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Today on this great feast of the Assumption of our Blessed Mother, perhaps we can begin by imagining Joseph and Mary. I just came across this the other day, where they are sitting together, enjoying a leisurely breakfast, when Mary suddenly piped up and said, you know what, Joe? When I die, I'm heading straight to heaven, not only my soul, but my body as well. Yeah. So Joseph is sipping his cup of coffee, and he pauses before the next sip. He said, now, well, now, Mary, that's quite an assumption. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to... <laughs> had to begin that uh, with uh, an assumption because that is no doubt with what Our Lady knew all the, all the way along. And indeed, uh, the first reading comes from the book of Revelation, which has as its foundation the prophecy of the birth of the new people of God begotten by Zion, which that people in Isaiah is symbolized by a woman. The woman is giving birth. This is Isaiah. The woman is giving birth, but she's not in pain. That was, when I read that the other day, I, I mean, I came across this passage from Isaiah 66, and the first time I'd actually seen such a clear reference in the Old Testament to the virgin birth where we say that Our Lady gave birth to our Lord without pain. She was a virgin before, during, and after the birth. Isaiah says, before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Who has ever heard of such things, he says? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. Zion referring to the people of Israel. And then this is brought to completion in today's first reading from the book of Revelation chapter 12, that famous passage which perhaps we're much more familiar with, about this woman who flees into the desert where she is miraculously fed. She's miraculously fed. In the, fed. That's, a, that's a reference to the manna in the book of Exodus. And it is said that the woman is given two wings 
of the great eagle. So this woman goes into the desert, is fed, and she's given two huge wings, like the people of Exodus. That's the woman of the apocalypse. I went a few years to Quito in Ecuador, and I saw there a massive statue, and uh, there they have the... Uh, there's a name for it right now that escapes me that they have for it, but she is there. It's Our Lady with these wings. And when you see it, you think it's maybe an angel, but then you see it, no, it's actually Our Lady, the woman of the apocalypse. apocalypse. And she has a, the, the book of Revelation says she has a, a crown of 12 stars around her head, which traditionally is reference to the 12 tribes and of course also the 12 apostles. And she's kind of leaning over in that st statue as well. The dragon that is evoked there naturally evokes the enemy of the people of God. There's a river that is thrown after the woman that can be can evoke the persecution of the Egyptian armies. And these are these are the types, the images that we see both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that refer ultimately to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Which led uh, the people of God in the church to this ancient belief that our Lord, our, our Lord did indeed assume His Blessed Mother body and soul. Probably she knew about it. In some way she knew that this was going to happen. It's the absolute fulfillment of the Immaculate Conception. She was immaculately conceived and therefore she had no original sin. She had no reason to be, to know corruption because she had no sin. We have sin. We have no corruption in some way and we will know corruption. But eventually our body and soul will rise but it has to go through that process of corruption and death. And so this truth that the people of God have always believed, hmm? Pius XII wanted to make it more clear. Hmm? People believed in it. Uh, maybe the biblical source was not explicit. Like it talks about Enoch who was assumed into heaven. It talks about Elijah who was assumed into heaven. as a very explicit facts. But the references uh, to Our Lady as being assumed in heaven is through the lens of typology, the types, like she's the new uh, Ark of the Covenant, and, and uh, you know, she, uh, you know, fulfills what the people of God had dreamed of, uh, of as a type of the, of the future fulfillment. And, um, you know, Moses has built the, the Ark of the Covenant, it was given great detailed instructions how it was to be and then later David danced in front of the ark in this kind of liturgical dance which is exactly what happens later when Mary arrives to see Elizabeth and she is pregnant with Jesus and then jo uh, John the Baptist who's, who's in Elizabeth's womb he dances too he leaps for joy those are all like typological uh, connections and there are, I mean, there are many more. I mean, I suppose I could give you a whole list and then fathers of the church have often described them. But Pius XII 
just wanted to make it more clear he had a great devotion to Our Lady that Mary was the dwelling place of God just like the Ark of the Covenant so the story I heard was that on May 1st 1946 so after the devastating moments of the war there's a peace that has come back to Europe but at the same time Europe is still destroyed the Pope decides well let's send a letter to all the bishops of the world the patriarchs the cardinals everybody all the people like of importance and I guess in general to the people of God but um, and he proposes this idea of of defining the dogma of the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary and everybody began to debate about this most of the I think the vast majority of bishops would agree about this but it took time and in that process from 1946 a number of uh, events took place some of them would confirm this truth one of them which I didn't know about was the story of uh, Bruno Cornacciola. Cornacciola. He was an Italian guy who had been brought up Catholic, but he hated the church. He, I don't know what he'd done, but not only did he hate the church and criticize the church and wrote leaflets and things against the Catholic church, but he also had a plan to kill the Pope. So, I mean, he was... <laughs> He was pretty serious. In fact, he even at one point brought a dagger to the Vatican and was ready to do it, but then for some reason he was not able to do it. And he was a, he was a bad guy. Like he would beat his wife and uh, he, in fact, he demanded that she leave the church and um, she was a devout Catholic, but she said, you know, he said to her, look, unless you leave the church, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. But uh, anyway, he was demanding on this. And um, the story is that one day he was preparing an anti-Catholic speech in the park, sitting on a bench with his children. He had several children, and they were playing with a ball. And uh, somehow, you know, they were fooling around, and they lost the ball somewhere. And they asked him to go and look for it. And he's, you know, kind of ticked off by this and says, oh, what are you, can't you find your own ball? And and so he's looking for the ball. And he had one of his sons, whose name was Gianfranco. And the little boy goes over and says, oh, the beautiful lady, such a beautiful lady. And he's struck by this and Bruno is in, suddenly in fear for his young son, and there he finds him transfixed in front of a small grotto, and suddenly all the three children come, and they're all transfixed in front of this grotto of some kind, and they see there a beautiful lady who's appearing to them. And the lady said these words, I am she who is related to the divine trinity. I am, she said, the virgin of revelation. And the woman who had the wings and everything. You have persecuted me. Now is the time to stop. 
and Bruno is there. <laughs> like, you know, and so she said a few more things, but basically she said, come back to the fold, come back to the church, go to confession. And this guy had been very, very, uh, you know, antagonistic and hostile to the church, but suddenly a transformation began to take place in this fellow Bruno. His heart began now to beat with love rather than hate, and some kind of transformative miracle took place in his soul. And in that moment also Our Lady spoke about her assumption into heaven. She said, my body could not and did not know decay. I was assumed into heaven by my son and the angels. And then she instructed Bruno with a special message for the Holy Father. Now this is the time when they're thinking about, you know, should we declare the assumption? And she said to him, you must go to the Holy Father, the Pope, the supreme pastor of Christianity, and personally tell him my message. Bring it to his attention. I shall tell you how to recognize the one who will accompany you to see the Pope. And, and so, you know, he's, okay, wow. So later they went home, the children immediately told their mother what happened. The mother could still smell the roses of the apparition. Her name was Loyan, Lolanda. And uh, she could see the change in her husband. She forgave her husband for all the the hardships that he had taken her through because he had forced her to leave the church and so forth and he had been quite vicious towards her and then the entire family reconverted to the Catholic faith which of course filled the, the mother Lolanda with great joy and uh, never did this man Bruno raise any violence against his family again and a, a deep change came about in him now he became a devoted Catholic and eventually he was able somehow to get a, an audience with the Pope in 1950, before the dogma was declared. And well, he was now a practicing Catholic, and, uh, and he went to this audience, there were a lot, a lot of people there, and the audience went, and, and, the, and the, the Pope asked, is there anybody who would like to speak with him? And Bruno raised his hands and uh, and with great sorrow, he asked forgiveness uh, for the years in which he had hated the church and even had the intention of killing the Pope. And he asked forgiveness. And not only that, but he presented the Pope with a dagger that he was going to use to kill him. I don't know if they still have that dagger in the Vatican, but uh, of course, Pope Pius blessed the place and uh, and eventually he heard about this apparition and it is said that he also yeah that he had believed in it and this was one of the things that helped him to come to the to the final conclusion on november 1st 1950 to proclaim the constitution munificissimus deus with the solemn proclamation of the assumption in which he said we have poured forth prayers and supplications again and again to God, and invoked, invoked the light of the Spirit of Truth for the glory of the Almighty, who has lavished his special affection upon the Virgin Mary, for the honor of her Son, 
the immortal king of the ages and the victor over sin and death for the increase of the glory of the same august mother and for the joy and exaltation of the entire church so they, you know the sort of you know took him a little while to say what he was going to say uh, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ of the blessed apostles Peter and Paul and by our own authority we pronounce declare and define it to be divinely revealed dogma that the Immaculate Mother of God the ever Virgin Mary having complete completed the course of her earthly life was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory I mean that was the essence of the declaration and we can think now too of our father who like everybody else heard that declaration was filled with great joy and it was around this time right now I'm, I forgot the exact year if it was 1950 or 51 that our father declined, decided uh, to consecrate the work to, uh, to the Blessed Virgin Mary at a time in which there was a lot of kind of, I guess that, public debate about the assumption. It was in the press, people were talking about it, the Protestants chimed in, even psychologists like Carl Jung spoke about it, the assumption of Our, Our Lady. For our father it was a difficult time because he sensed that there were people in, I guess, the higher-ups who, in, in the Vatican, who didn't particularly take a liking to the work and wanted to s split the work in half into two sections, one for women and one for men. They, can't, they couldn't imagine that there'd be one institution of men and women headed by a priest, headed by a monsignor. That was unthinkable for them. That's why they wanted to separate it. And, well, our father was not completely... Uh, informed about all of this, but there was an attempt to do that, and you know, the, there was our father got some information indirectly. Cardinal Schuster spoke to him about this, but he wasn't particularly clear. He had gotten word about it from Milan. Cardinal Schuster was the, the cardinal of Milan, who's now been beatified, and he said, "You know, pray to the Blessed Virgin Mary, you know, because there's some guys that are, you know, trying to do this." And he consecrated the work to our mother, and then that that project, if you like, that decision did not, as we know, come to fruition. And it is strange that now too, now too, this year, we have to pray again and do the consecration, perhaps with a special tone, with a special devotion. And as you know, with this motu proprio, the Father has said that we have to accept it with filial piety. Filial piety to the, to the Pope, we accept what he has asked, even though we may not fully like it. It doesn't fully express, at least in a juridical form, what we understood, we've always understood as a charism, to safeguard our secularity. So now, some have thought that our secularity can be safeguarded well, in another way that is not necessarily the same juridical structure. That is, as we know, we now depend on the, on the uh, congregation of the clergy, which makes the prelature really just an association or 
you know, a structure for priests, and then we just have the, the lay people there, just like kind of helpers in some way. Juridically, juridically. But we know, in the spirit of the work, the lay people of the work are just as much members of the work as the priests. And they're, the, but we rely on that fact from the charism that our father received. It is no longer, as far as I can tell, perfectly reflected in the juridical structure since we now depend on the congregation of the clergy. So the Father has said that, okay, it's just a, a new way of communicating with the Holy See, just a new way. I mean, that's, the, I guess, the best way, I suppose, to see it. He said, it's a change in things that are not really important. That is the juridical pathway in which we explain ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Okay. And it's true that, I suppose that, that the fact that you and I, a priest and a lay person, we have the exact same vocation. A woman, a married woman, a lay woman, a man, we have the same vocation. That comes from the spirit of the work. And in some way, today, when we do the consecration, we want to consecrate that fact, that that always stays safeguarded. Perhaps we thought that it would be safeguarded through juridical means, through the prelature, depending on the congregation of bishops, it would be like a, like a, like a diocese, right? So the diocese, well, the clergy are part of the diocese, the lay people are part of the diocese, the same thing, the, you know, this, there's no associative bond as such. Okay, but now it'll be safeguarded by the spirit of the world. It's a different way. And we'll see what happens. Maybe in the future a new pope will understand this in a different way. But let it be a discussion for the canonists. They can go and fight it out if they want. You know, They can have their congresses and their books and whatever they do. and They can duke it out. And they go, oh no, but the congregation, I don't know what, and whatever. Yeah, okay. Fight it out between yourselves. Don't bug us. What we do is we go to the Blessed Virgin now, we ask her to safeguard this spirit. And it's interesting to note that the event of this apostolic constitution by Pope Pius XII, which was, I mean, it was a purely beautiful desire to entrust the Church to Our Lady, assumed body and soul into heaven, which was believed before. It wasn't as though he invented it, of course. It was just like reaffirming a truth. And that, it, that this, at that time, caused a lot of discussion among the press and people and Protestants and stuff. I don't know if that would happen today if, if the Holy Fathers made a declaration of, of such, let's say, spiritual nature. But I read recently about Carl Jung, who was a famous uh, psychoanalyst and psychologist, and whose words were always of great... Uh, yeah, importance, I suppose, uh, a great influence. He wrote something quite interesting about this. He was not a Catholic, uh, but he made some interesting reflections about the psychological dimensions of this dogma, of the Assumption of Our Blessed Mother. He said, and this is the, the quote that I found uh, recently, he said, of course, this is, he wrote this right then in 1950 when all this kind of upheaval was going on in the press about this statement of the Pope. He said, it is interesting to note that among the many articles published in the Catholic and Protestant press on the declaration of the dogma, 
There was not one, so far as I could see, which laid any anything like proper emphasis on what was undoubtedly the most powerful motive. Namely, the popular movement and the psychological need behind it. He said, essentially the writers of the articles were satisfied with learned considerations, dogmatic and historical, which had no bearing on the living religious process. But anyone who has followed with attention the visions of Mary, which have been increasing in number over the last few decades, I, I suppose among others he was referring to this guy, Bruno Cognacula, and others. He said uh, they've been increasing in these last decades and has, has taken their psychological anybody who was taking their psychological significance into account might have known what was brewing. The fact, especially, that it was largely children who had the visions. This might have caused pause for thought, for in such cases the collective unconscious is always at work. One could have known for a long time that there was a deep longing in the masses for an intercessor and a mediatrix who would at last take her place alongside the Holy Trinity and be received as the Queen of Heaven and Bride of the Heavenly Court. And this is, this is Carl Jung, a non-Catholic, saying this. For more than a thousand years, it has been granted, taken for granted, that the Mother of God has dwelt there. So... It was children who saw this. In this case, the children of Bruno and, and many other cases, they were children, children of Fatima, right? Our Lady of Lourdes. Uh, she was quite a child, uh, Bernadette, uh, and, and so many others, I suppose. The need for an intercessor, a living intercessor next to the Trinity. So we need our mother there, close to us, to pray for us, to speak for us. And this is we ask of her today that she intercede for us and our special needs and needs in the apostle that we she pray for us she be our intercessor in front of in front of the church in front of how the work could be understood by souls by cardinals in a few days i'm not exactly sure when the some of the people who were involved in this decision in the motu proprio are going to be made cardinals. They're going to take on, I guess, more authority. Is it true we shouldn't see them as opponents or people necessarily who are against us, but we do need the intercession of Blessed Mother so that the work can be understood, that we can be understood, that the apostate can grow thanks to the intercession of our Blessed Mother, which is exactly what happened in 1950 when there, you could say that, the the relationship with the Holy See was somewhat fragile, but Our Lady interceded to make it stronger. That's why also Ronald Knox, a famous convert as well, who wrote many books, Catholic, he said that it makes clear the assumption that there is room for our humanity in heaven. Mary's assumption assures us that Jesus accomplished 
you know, in rising from the dead and ascending to heaven, that this was not limited to his own person. It was not just, yeah, for him. Even though we are not divine, we too are meant to be in heaven with the incarnate Son, next to the Blessed Trinity, in his home with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We are called. And Our, our Lady kind of reminds us of that because obviously she was not divine, but still she was assumed in heaven. The Pope, Pope John Paul II said, this generates in us an ever new capacity to await God's future. Grace does not destroy, but perfects our nature. So the glory of heaven will include our whole humanity, our soul and body. The whole package will be there. That's why Joe said, that's quite an assumption you're making there, Mary. And uh, the assumption of Mary took place, and it is an opening for ours as well. Through a different, yeah, passage, but nevertheless, it's an invitation for us today to pray and ask our Blessed Mother to protect us in our apostolate, to protect the work. Maybe today, as the Father says the consecration today, and as we will say it as, as well, and all over the world they will say the consecration, consecrate the work right, to, the, to the sweetheart of Mary, that, that it will have a special impact right, on the souls around us, on the Holy Father, right, and of course on the tenderness of our Blessed Mother will protect us, so that our apostles will always be you know, at the service of the church so that we can really serve the church as she wants to be served. You know, that is what Our Lady will ensure, that we always want to serve the church as she wants to be served. That's the most important thing, ultimately. Isn't that a beautiful phrase that we take from our Father? We want to serve the church as she wants to be served. And she will intercede for us today so that that desire is always uh, ensured. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.